You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. What's up, everyone? I'm Terry Skaggs, and welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of Testimonies with Terry. I'm excited to be back, giving you more testimonies. And guys, we are starting the season off with a bang, because you are going to hear the testimony of a man who found healing and reconciliation in his relationship with his dad when he was a kid, overcame addictions to numerous substances, and cemented his faith while living out his childhood dream of becoming a professional wrestler. He was known as Gunner in Impact Wrestling, Jackson Riker in WWE, but now he's known as being unashamed, redeemed, and reborn. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Chad Lale's testimony. All right, guys, this is a pretty cool episode for me. Uh, Those that know me know that I've been a professional wrestling fan pretty much my whole life, and I have the honor uh, to be able to interview former Impact Wrestling and WWE superstar Chad Gunner-Lale. Chad, thanks so much for coming on, man. Absolutely, man. I got a bunch of uh, different names, so we'll we'll just stick with Chad today. (laughs) Sounds (laughs) good. Yeah, I appreciate your time, dude. It's good to know you're a wrestling fan as well, because we can connect with that as, as as much as we can with Christ. So I like it. For sure. And I'm sure, you know, throughout our time, we're going to talk about your wrestling career, but let's just get into it a little bit. Uh, how long have you been in the wrestling business? Oh, man. So for, you know, it's what I want to do since I was five. Um, I'll be 40 years old, June 6th. Uh, so 2022, June 6th, I'll be 40. Um, August will mark 22 years for me. 22 wow. years of wrestling started at 19 right out of high school. Basically my dad is like, Hey, you can do anything you want to do as long as you finish school and all I ever want to do is wrestle. So yeah, 22 years strong, man. I mean, really no time off other than, um, oof, maybe like a six month period, you know, and we'll touch base in my Marine Corps life for sure. But other than that, it's been 22 years, like all in. Wow. How's your body feeling after 22 years? Honestly, really good. I went through a phase in 2015 where I had a uh, pretty, you know, I say severe, I guess it was neck injury. Uh, didn't, uh, I praise the Lord. It didn't involve surgery. I chose to go, you know, massage therapy, chiropractic, and just rehab it on my own. Um, so other than that, you know, lower back issues, but nothing, um, nothing crazy. Knock on wood. Thank the Lord. I've never yeah. had any, I've never had any surgeries. Um, that's caused me to be after a long time. And I, and I tend to train with my training very smart now, um, with rehab and, and just massage therapy, like I mentioned, stretching, uh, I just try and take care of this body, man. It's what's provided for my family for many years. So I've been very blessed. Yeah, man. Praise God. I mean, I, I can't imagine that there's too many, uh, men and women who have been in the business for that long, you know, that haven't had to go through, you know, surgeries and things like that. So man, God's favor seems to definitely be on you. Amen, dude. Yeah, no, I've no knee surgeries. I was, I was, you know, training a client this morning. I do some coaching at a uh, a D one gym facility, strength and coach. 
And, you know, I was talking to her. I was like, I've been very blessed, like no surgeries, no knee issues. Man, you're right. His, uh, his hand's definitely been on my career because I've, I've done some dumb things in the ring. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm happy for you and happy for your family too. You know, obviously the, it affects the family if you, if you get injured. And so uh, not really having to go through that, that's, you know, that's awesome. Um, Chad, why don't we go back to the beginning? That's kind of how we usually start off these episodes is just kind of going into where did you grow up and what was family life like for you? For sure, man. Yeah, dude. So, um, born June 6, 1982. I'm from small town Hickory, North Carolina. Uh, if you know anything about North Carolina, it's kind of, it's a mountain town. We're like on the edge of Asheville, you know, or so, um, you know, just a small furniture town, nothing crazy. There wasn't anything going on furniture town. You either worked at a furniture market or you're like my dad, who was a meat cutter for 30 some years, you know, worked at a market um, for me, dude, like um, just growing up was was basically, you know, uh, I grew up in a single family home, uh, single parent home, I should say. So with my mother um, until I was around 10 years old and it just, you know, my dad came into my life around that 10 year mark. But so I remember, you know. With mom, she worked two or three jobs to provide for me and two other, you know, a brother and a sister. And she was an incredible mother. And I, I talked about this the other day where I, where I spoke to some kids at, at my church that the one thing I can remember she instilled in me was no matter how busy she was or how bad of a day she had, there was never a night went by that she didn't tuck me in and pray with me. You know, she she was always there due to, um, I get emotional when I talk about it a lot, but, you know, <clears throat> she was always instilling God in, you know, planting that seed, man, always a mother that loved me. And, you know, once dad moved into my life when I was 11, well, you know, I know you're a therapist, right? So (laughs) it's funny we talk about that because it wasn't that my father was running from me or didn't want to be a part of my life. He was going through some issues in his life as well. And now we're best friends. I mean, he raised me, but um, there was a moment in my life when I was around nine and I was just, just battling these things of, man, I want a dad in my life. And what have I done wrong? Or is there something I can do? So mom took me to a therapist, you know, it's something that was new to me as a nine-year-old kid opening up. Um, and his therapist sat me down and I don't recall if they were a Christian therapist or anything like that. All I know is that it was the first time I'd opened up about, you know, why does my dad not want to be in my life kind of thing? And they said, well, you know what, why don't you, uh, we, we happen to have, my aunt's address, who my dad's sister, and we always kept in touch with them. And that's how kind of I communicated with my father. And she said, won't you sit down and just write your dad a letter? And man, I don't remember what it said. I'm, my dad may have it. I'd love to see. But uh, I did. And bro, probably, I guess, two or three weeks later, my dad calls me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so <clears throat> sorry if I get a little crazy and emotional on this, man, but it's just yeah, like okay. my heart. You know, it's just like, I thank God for that because you know, it caused my dad to open up to me and my gosh, I guess it was, uh, six months later, he goes, he calls me, takes me out and all this stuff, you know, that we built up this six month relationship that I had missed, you know, out on for the first 10 years of my life. And he just said, won't you move in with me? And I, I just, you know, I, and man, from there, it was like this whole new world. I was living with my mom who until I was 10 years old, worked very hard and instilled good into me, but I was this troubled child. And I think it was just bottled up like maybe anger and all this stuff. But lo and behold, I moved in with my father and uh, he just started pouring out to his heart to me of why, you know, he had been through these things. He had, you know, he had went through his battles, whether it was divorce and all this stuff. And he just, man, he, he was weeping at times, apologizing. He 
you know, like telling me that there was nothing I had done wrong. Um, Ooh, all right, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. You're <laughs> Sorry, good, man. Brother. Um, no, you're good. You know, he, my dad was poor. It was like, uh, God used the therapist for me to connect with my father. And then God used me for my father to pour out to me. You know what I mean? So yeah. he just started pouring out his heart and was like, you never did anything. Wrong. It was just, I was going through dark times and bro, like over the years I've looked at it and like, my dad just instilled in me so much, like mom always has. So we had this, you know, connection, me and mom are close. Me and dad are close. And, you know, just skipping forward a little bit, uh, you know, going to church with my father, him opening up about, you know, his dad passed away when my dad was 12 years old. So I never knew him, um, you know, but you know, just knowing that my dad had faced these things made me realize that, you know, my father loved me, man. There's nothing I'd done wrong. And it's just a story and, and a kind of a testimony that I can use for others. For um, sure. Yeah, dude. So, I mean, with that being said, you know, skipping around, obviously, a little bit. Um, that's really my childhood in a nutshell. You know, there's, there's many other things, dad and taking me to wrestling events, dad going to church, taking me to church. So small story about my family church. It was built in the fifties by my grandfather and many other members of the family, like literally by hand, you know, they laid the bricks to this foundation of this church that's still standing and still going. So there's a lesson there with the foundation built on Christ. You know? yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so, dude, it's crazy because my, my grandfather preached there. And so he died in the 70s. Um, that's where I was saved when I was 17, uh, giving my life to the Lord. So there's just so much rich family history there. And, and I just see the path that the Lord has taken me on. And it's just incredible, dude. Yeah, man. That's so, yeah, like you said, incredible. Kind of going back a little bit. What was that like for you to hear from your dad that, hey, this wasn't your fault. This isn't your fault, you know, as far as me not being part of your life. Cause I, you know, like you said, I'm a therapist and I work with a lot of kids who, you know, unfortunately have, you know, divorced parents and live in split homes. And a lot of them do feel that, that guilt or, or that like burden, you know, responsibility that man, what did I do is, you know, I feel like it's my fault that my parents split up. So what was that like for you to hear from your dad directly that dude, this wasn't your fault? It was, man, it was, it was definitely uh, eye opening for me. I think at that age, 10 or 11, I was old enough to understand because I had, I had held these things in. Like, you know, I would always ask my mom, what did I do wrong? And she would always tell me you did nothing wrong. Like, you know, your dad has his own life. He's just got to deal with some stuff. So when my dad sat me down and, and like I said, he poured out his heart to me, dude, he, he was, I mean, my dad's an emotional person, which is probably where I get it from. I cry at the, you know, flip of the switch with my daughter <laughs> now, you know, <laughs> yeah. but he's an emotional man, which I've always, uh, which was always great. So I can drop that guard instantly. He didn't try and be a hard, you know, father. He just poured out his heart to me and said, you know, this is what I've dealt with all my life. Like, you know, my father died when I was 12 and, you know, my grandmother, his mother was just a phenomenal woman, like this prayer warrior. Um, but he just poured out his heart to me, dude. And it, it made me realize, okay, um, I did nothing wrong. I had to stop. I couldn't hold a grudge. Um, you know, my, my dad had manned up to his, I'm not going to say failures, but his mistakes over my life uh, or over his life. And it just made me realize that, you know, it's, it's, it's helped me throughout the years because I do with youth ministry, I face what you're talking about where a lot of kids are going through um, divorces or I, I get a chance to speak at a boy's home in my hometown where these kids are in this facility because some of their parents are in jail for murder. You know, I mean, just very, very 
bad things. So it's a chance for me to pour out to these kids and say, listen, that doesn't define you. Like you did nothing wrong. We all have this path we choose. Uh, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad, but just having my dad pour out to me like that made me realize, okay, he's, he, you know, he let me know there was nothing you did wrong, son. Like I chose my own path. I made my mistakes, but I love you, you know, I, and, and I want to be a part of your life now. And it's good that, you know, he, it wasn't one of those situations that you probably have been around where it's like a parent comes into a life and then six months later, they're gone again. So I didn't have to deal with that. So I don't know how to answer that question. Yep. But I just know that it, it it showed me that my earthly father, um, you know, loved me for who I was and there's nothing I did, you know, wrong. Yeah, man. That's, that's so awesome. Your dad sounds like a amazing man. And, you know, yeah. I, I feel like that's, that's just part of being a man, right. Is just taking ownership over, you know, and accountability over, like you said, just some of the mistakes that we made and, and he did. And obviously there's true repentance there and, and remorse. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really happy that, that you guys, um, had those those conversations those talks i'm sure that they were probably tough and really emotional but also very healing as well before dad came into your life did you have any other like strong male influences in your life i did i did so my sister uh, obviously as a another a, you know a different father he was one that was you know there when i was growing up till uh, i guess him and my mother had split maybe when i was around eight or nine years old, but he was the one I remember that was a strong male figure in my life that, um, taught me how to ride a bike, you know, like, uh, you know, taught me right from wrong as best as he could discipline me or whatnot. It was kind of a, a good father figure to me. And then occasionally him and I still talk. It's not like an everyday or every week thing, but, uh, I have thanked him because he was, he's one I can vividly remember as a child growing up and going, you know, he was in that position that, that, you know, um, he instilled good into me. So yeah, definitely um, just an important role model uh, growing up as a kid. Very cool. Uh, so dad comes in your life around 10, 11 years old. What was school like for you throughout uh, you know, your childhood here, Chad? Man, uh, I remember liking school for the most part. I do remember, and I think you touched on this in your testimony about, um, I was bullied a lot. You know, I was bullied a lot for you know, I had hand-me-down clothes because, you know, we weren't from a wealthy family. Um, I was bullied a lot because I was, I wasn't, I'm not, I was an overweight kid. You know, I was always very active, but I was bullied because of that. So I do remember that about school, but I remember um, doing really well in school. I mean, it was something I always, you know, never, never hated school. I can say I hated the fact that I had to get on a bus and knowing when I get off a bus, that there was a kid at the bus stop that was going to want to beat me up or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, you know, I, I vaguely, yes, I definitely remember the bullying part. Um, but sc- I, I bounced around to many different schools growing up because my mom had moved, you know, we moved towns a lot. Um, so I think maybe I was in, oh boy, one school with the longest probably for two years. So I was at a bunch of different like elementary schools until I moved with my father and it was just like grounded where I was. Um, So I do remember that being very hard on me because it was hard to make friends. You make friends next year. You're, you know, and don't man, there's by no means blaming my mother for that. It's just, she had to do what she had to do at the time. Um, So school was a bounce back and forth. I don't remember much of, uh, you know, the early years, but just, I do remember the bullying part. Yeah. How did you deal with that? Ooh. Uh, man, I'm trying to think of an escape for me. So like at the time, I guess an escape for me, honestly, you know, and not being cliche about it, but was pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. Like I escaped, I escaped with pro wrestling. Um, 
I escaped with, you know, I had a real good friend in a neighborhood. I remember we lived in that we were, you know, both kind of in the same situation. He was getting bullied and I was getting bullied. We just kind of connected together. It was like, all right, what can we do about this? You know, we can, we can stay together and be sure we always got each other's back. Um, so for me, the escape was that pro wrestling thing and just connecting with, I believe the kid's name was Adam. I haven't seen him. Oh Lord, man, probably since I was, I guess, moved with my dad when I was 10. Um, but it, it was just really finding a good, strong friend, you know, and I think about, um, at the time I didn't think about it, but now I think about Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, you know, yeah. it was these two guys that were connected together, looking out for each other. And, um, and that's really how I, I handled this situation at the time. Yeah. You mentioned pro wrestling being an escape for you. What was it about pro wrestling that allowed you to just drop all the stressors and problems that life was bringing to you being bullied and moving schools, dad situation? What is, what was it about pro wrestling that allowed you to just kind of get sucked into that? Yeah, man, I was into pro wrestling and ever since I was a child. Um, into like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. It was just something about this, uh, these warriors, you know what I mean? So pro yep. wrestling from for as far as I can remember being age of five and my mom would tell you the same thing. I was captivated by these characters. It was this Saturday morning or, you know, at the time I was growing up, there was Saturday night wrestling. You know, there wasn't a big Monday night raw, you know, until 93, but I, I could escape in my room, sit down and watch Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage, you know, these two, good guy, bad guy, or the Iron Sheik and Hogan fight each other. And it just, I felt like I was there all the time. You know, I was amazed by the characters. I always say I was amazed by the characters because they were larger than life. You know, I was into cartoons, GI Joe and all that stuff. So for that, and then they're like, their physique, man, you know, I've always been into bodybuilding and stuff. So it was just this escape for me, you know, some kids escape into video games or, um, you know, whatever avenue they choose. But for me, thank the Lord, it wasn't anything crazy going out and getting in trouble. But for me, it was like just soaking in this pro wrestling, you know, and, and that was another reason I got bullied throughout like middle school. Cause I quote unquote, love this fake wrestling, you know, I'd always get made fun of, but I stood my ground, dude. I was like, no, no, it's not fake. You know, it's, <laughs> these guys are beating each other to death. And it just gave me an avenue, man, to escape. It's like, you know, a kid who sits down and, and escapes in a good book or, you know, uh, goes drawing and they just escape in their artwork or whatever, writing, journaling, anything. For me, it was sitting in front of a TV and nothing else mattered. Like these larger life characters that that were portrayed on TV, nothing else mattered. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely re relate to that myself. You know, nine years old is when I got into wrestling and like, yeah, like you said in my testimony, I, I was bullied for being overweight. And yeah, I, you, you could just get lost in those characters, right? And and almost kind of like live vicariously through them as well. Like kind of like feeling like, man, I could, you know, I could be that guy or, you know, so yeah. uh, it's awesome that you had that escape. You mentioned, yeah, you'd get bullied, you know, wrestling is fake, things like that. Being in the business for, for 22 years, when you hear people even to this day say, oh, that's just fake stuff, you know, oh, that doesn't hurt or, you know, comments like that. What What's your response to that? I shake it off now. Like in my twenties, when I first started, I mean, I'd get mad. Like I'd want to fight somebody. Um, Cause you know, my uncle, when I was a kid growing up real quick, back backstory, he would always, uh, he supported me and ended up being one of my biggest supporters when I started independent wrestling. Like he was front row and everything cheering and yelling and booing. But it's funny as a kid, he would, uh, I would always go to, <laughs> I would always go to their house cause they lived across the street from my dad and I. So it was my uncle Jim, my cousin, my aunt. And they, uh, 
Right, don't tell anybody this, but they had one of those illegal boxes where we got free pay-per-views. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. so that was my, my living in sin days, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> we uh, So we would go over there and watch every pay-per-view. So as a kid, I had um, over uh, 200 VHS tapes of wrestling I recorded. All right. So anyway, my Uncle Jim would make fun of me. Like, it was stuff's fake, blah, blah, blah. And I think he'd do it to get under my skin. So as I'm moving forward in my 20s, I wanted to fight you. But now you got people who just, I'm not going to say uneducated, but they think instantly, oh, it's entertainment. Like, it, it's fake. And I try to explain to them, no, listen, this is like a physical. I, I heard Triple H say one time, this is a physical form of entertainment. We have no off-season. You know, we're up until COVID hit. Like, I mean, I was on the road three, four days a week you know, doing tours all over the place on a bus, in a ring, doing a show. I mean, so we're a physical form of entertainment that, I mean, you can take a look at, you know, if I showed you MRIs in my body or x-rays, you'd be like, oh, wow, like, you know, this, you guys take a beating. So once I explain it to somebody who is, they, they don't just don't know, because their first instinct is, oh, that's just fake, yeah. whatever. Once you explain to them, like, this is what the ring's made of. And, and they were like, Oh, wow. I thought it was just like a trampoline. I'm like, no, dude. <laughs> or the biggest thing for me is if you have somebody at a show who you can actually take up to the wrestling ring and say, all right, get in that ring and feel that. Then they're like, Oh dude, crazy. And I tell them stories of, you know, being at WWE going through the developmental system where we have tryouts for guys coming through who were, I'd watch these college football athletes come through this wrestling fake training, quote unquote, and dude, some of them within a matter of hours were quitting and walking out of the building. So that's oh. that's one story or testimony I can use to go. This is it's not fake, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's real. So you know, I just want to thank you, Chad. You know, twenty two years you're putting your body on the line for you know my entertainment for millions of other people's entertainment. So thank you for being willing to do that. Thank you, man. And it's just the love of the business. You know, it really is. It's his passion. This kid who wanted to do something at five years old from a small town. The Lord's given me amazing testimony and amazing opportunity. And no, I appreciate it. We, we have a lot of really cool fans that appreciate what we do. Well, Chad, you mentioned getting saved at 17 years old. What was that experience like? What was what were kind of the events that led up to that? Oh, man, dude. Yeah. So I moved up my dad when I was 10 or 11. Started going to the family church basically every Sunday. I mean, every some Sundays we'd, you know, we wouldn't go. I was never forced. Dad would be like, listen, we're going to church day. I'd like for you to go. So he was always pouring into me and bringing me to church. So throughout those years before I was saved, I, it was a family church. So we still had and some of these people have gone on to be with the Lord, but like great uncles, you know, my aunt, my dad. I had my grandmother would sit beside me. She would always sit in the back back aisle of the church. And it only, we had maybe 125 members. So a very small, you know, close-knit, Holy Spirit-filled church, which I loved. And I just remember the whole time, like, you know, there's some sermons, obviously, I'm like, like, why am I here? What's going on? But I look at it now, and my grandmother's always sitting beside me. And here's a woman who had faced um, losing her husband, you know, in the 70s, uh, never remarried. Uh, here's a woman who had raised, uh, Lord, I think she, I think there's six kids by herself. Um, you know, a woman who had faced death, been through the trenches and, but the co- whole time, don't matter what was going on, whether she was sick or somebody was sick the whole time during a sermon, she's just whispered like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Like continuously dude. And it's just, I look at it now. It's like, she was planting seeds in me. And so 17 years old, we're having a, what we call, you know, like a three or four night revival church pastor john banks is there and at the time 
he was probably early seventies. So he's going on to be with the Lord as well, but he preaching a sermon. And, and at the end, he's like, you know, making the altar call. And, uh, I'm just sitting there like, like my heart's pounding out of my chest. You know, I know something's weird here. Like, I don't know what to do, but there's like cinder blocks around my feet where the enemy's trying to say, no, oh, just sit here. I got something for you. But I mean, I'm, I thank the Lord that I was obedient and walked down to the aisle. And, and I always say it's this red stained, you know, red tear stained carpet. And I just knelt down there and gave my life to God, dude. And it was, I remember just the feeling, um, the feeling then of how it felt to have this overwhelming feeling of the Lord just coming into my life and, and just blessing me, you know, and it's as I'm progressing through my twenties and dealing with issues that I'm sure we'll talk about. It's just that feeling I always remember of like, how can I get back to that feeling? And, and I see what it is now and, and we'll touch base on that as well. But I mean, it's just, I just remember being this overwhelming feeling, man. And this church was, you know, for me, um, growing up in a church, like a church of God's what it was. So it was Pentecostal. And no, we weren't the ones like waving venomous snakes. Right? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, for me, like um, people listening, like hearing people speaking in tongues or Holy Spirit filled church, or you see an 80 year old woman who comes in on crutches, but when she's leaving, she's running up and down the aisle. And as a kid, you're like, dude, what's going on right now? But as, you know, a man of God, I realized that like, okay, this was not just something that was a put on, like there's something real about this. And I felt it that night, man. So when 17 years old, when I give my heart to the Lord, like it just completely, uh, it, it, it changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life, the path of my life, uh, helped me into my twenties as I was dealing with drug issues and all this other stuff. Just an amazing feeling, bro. Sounds like that happened uh, right before you probably graduated high school. Mm -hmm. Yes, I graduated in year 2000. So that was actually March, March 15th, year 2000. I gave my life to God. And then I graduated May of 2000. Okay, awesome. Yeah. What, um, when you graduated high school, did you have any idea of what you wanted to do in life after graduation? Listen, man, ever since I was five years old, I'm not making this up. Like I said, you can ask my mom. All I want to do is pro wrestle. Like I never wanted to go to college. You know, I worked, I started working at 14 at a local grocery store where my dad cut meat. And, um, but I was like, man, I got to get out of this town, you know? So I had no other ambitions. I didn't want to be businessman, anything else, but a pro wrestler, you know? And what changed for me, and I look at it as, you know, our nation was attacked in 2001. Um, a year later, I, I went to the Marine Corps. And that caused me to, um, you know, I, as I graduated high school, I was like, all right, how can I get into this wrestling? So I started doing independent wrestling. Like I said, my dad mentioned, hey, you got to graduate high school first. And then from there, once I did, I started training with a local guy. I kind of got my feet wet. I traveled with him a little bit, but just something started stirring me, man. You know, about I had my father was in the army. I had uncles that were in the Navy and there was only a, one other Marine in my family. It was an uncle of mine that lives in Mississippi. And something started stirring in me. I was like, man, I really, really want to serve my country. You know, I want to follow in the path of my family, this honor. You know, I remember my aunt's house, the wall was covered with my grandfather's picture of, you know, World War II and just all these men of honor that I call them, like this wall of honor. And I was like, you know, I want to do that. So 2000, I guess it was September of, no, January 2002, I, I went and joined the Marine Corps and went to boot camp September 10th of 2002 uh, to Paris Island. And it, what it caused was me to get out of my hometown, which I look at now. And the Lord used that to push me, you know, beyond what I thought I could be pushed. 
to get me out of my hometown to to just show me that there was more to life. So other than wrestling, just you know, the kind of I want to be a Marine kind of just sparked on me out of nowhere once the nation was attacked. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service and uh, defending our country, protecting our country. I really appreciate that. What was um, your experience in the Marines like? Dude, it was the uh, first couple of weeks. I spoke the other day to some kids and they were asking me the same question. It was uh, in the first couple of weeks. I was like, what have I got myself into? Because 2002, I mean, you go down to Paris Island, September, it's hot. you got these drill instructors screaming at you. You know, the first three days or 72 hours, you're, I bet I slept three hours total so it's a shock because they're breaking you and, and make basically making you into a new uh, a new person a new you know a, a basically training you to be a united states marine um so the marine corps was like i said probably one of the best decisions if not the best decision other than give my life to the lord that that i've made because it caused me to get out of this small town it made me realize because in marine corps boot camp and on through my four years in the marine corps i was showed that i can be pushed beyond my limits I can achieve anything I set my mind to. So I go into boot camp, um, not the most physically fit person that they had, not the smartest one they had, um, you know, not the, the, you know, you had these kids coming right out of high school football who could just run forever. And here I am like, that's not me. But what I have and still have that I showed was I had heart and determination. So my goal in the Marine Corps boot camp was I want to be an honor grad. There ain't no reason why I should have been honored that dude. No reason other than the Lord saying, like, you will be if you put the work in. And, you know, December 10th, 2002, here I am standing on the parade deck in my dress blues. You know, in the Marine Corps, you have a battalion of Marines that graduate. And there's, you know, uh, whatever, three different squads or, you know, there's so much going on. But <laughs> you have certain Marines that get to wear the dress blues and the other ones are in there a different a different uh, uniform. So I'm one of those Marines that got to be an honor grad because of just hard work and just determination. And I think it showed with um, just leading people, you know what I mean? So it just caused me to kind of step out of my bubble as a child because being bullied, you know, I didn't, you know, I thought maybe I was a failure or this or that, but going into the Marine Corps really showed me, no, man, you can do anything you set your mind to. And it pushed me, pushed me beyond my physical limits, mental limits and all this stuff. But I knew I wanted to be an undergrad. And then throughout my Marine Corps career, there's just certain goals that I, I strove, you know, strive to achieve being a sergeant before I got out. And I, I reached that rank about six months before I got out, you know, getting like, you know, awards for certain things. And just uh, but Marine Corps is also a time where I kind of took my eyes off the cross, you know, mm. and started to seek more worldly pleasures. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have somebody to disciple me. You know, I was in different states or different countries at the time and chose to, you know, dive into alcohol, dive into pill issues and, and just all these other things, man. So the world really opened up to me, this thing that I was in this little bubble in my hometown. Um, but once I got in the Marine Corps, it's like the enemy used that to like entice me with different things in the world. You know, that first John two talks about, you know, he used those things to to persuade me to go down a different path, but, um, it's still, I never lost that drive to, um, be better. You know, I never lost that drive to want to help people and I never lost the drive to pro wrestle. I still, while I was in the Marine Corps, uh, I was lucky enough to be stationed at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, which was about five hours away from my hometown. So every weekend I would drive home to do an independent show, making no money, you know, but, knowing that I had to pay these dues and, and it gave me an opportunity to keep wrestling. 
So yeah. Wow. Sounds like you had a, a very accomplished and decorated career in the military. And thank you again, you know, Chad, for your service. It also sounds like, though, as you mentioned, that that was a time where you kind of step in, you know, away from the cross, getting into the worldly pleasures. Looking mm-hmm. back at that, what do you think um, was kind of the the main contributors to you, you know, going more towards that worldly way of living instead of sticking, you know, on that straight and narrow? Yeah, so I've been asked that a few times, and really, what I, I guess, I just got around the wrong crowd. You know, Paul talks about, I believe, in First Corinthians, maybe somewhere in there, that bad company corrupts good character. You know, and it's what happened to me is I, um, when I was saved at seventeen, what I see I missed was uh, not because, not because someone didn't try and come to me, but I didn't choose to be discipled. Because I always tell these young Christians, like when you give your life to the Lord. Oh, there's an amazing feeling. Oh, it's unbelievable. And you can't explain it. But two weeks later, if you don't have somebody to help that iron sharpen iron, the enemy's going to attack you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the parable of the seeds, basically, Jesus talks about. He comes yep. in and chokes you out. And that's what happened to me, dude. Like, giving my life at 17, I was safe and comfortable in this little bubble in North Carolina. But once I went to the Marine Corps, got through boot camp, um, became a man, an adult, moved out on my own in the Marine Corps, I had these options. You know, I had these options. I wasn't, you know, around my father or these strong men at my church. I had these other options and they were, I chose to to start partaking in booze and, you know, just, I mean, just garbage of the world, man. And the enemy latched on and he started to drag me down. It took me out of my relationship with the Lord. So that's really, you know, I don't blame the Marine Corps. Like the Marine Corps gave me so much. Like mm-hmm. I made my own, I made my own choices. And I'm lucky I'm still around the day to kind of, you know, use them as a testimony to other people. Yeah, for sure. So you get out of the Marine Corps and what does life look like for you next, Chad? Is it continuing to pursue wrestling? Yes. So got out of the Marine Corps and instantly moved. So at that time, 2006, we, you know, now guys are trying to get booked on shows. They'll send you like a YouTube link or an email to the promoter. Dude, at that time, it was like, get you a VHS tape, put it in an envelope, get you a little resume on a piece of paper and hand deliver it to somebody or mail it out. So I would get all these tapes of, you know, my independent shows, which I look at now and I'm like, dude, I would have never brought me on. I was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I just I started sending out packages all over the U.S. But there was an opportunity that opened up through a mutual friend, um, actually my buddy, Jason justice, whom I'm going to have on, uh, my, my wrestling for the faith podcast coming up soon. Um, and he, he said, Hey man, you know, I wrestle for NWA anarchy, which used to be wild side. So this promotion in Georgia that AJ styles, Matt Hardy, I mean, dude, you name them, they were in this building. And he said, once you come down, we got a big show in Helen, Georgia, um, come down, bring a tape, you know, and, and I'll introduce you to, uh, Bill Barons, who was the, and he still helps me with aging, getting shows and stuff. But at that time, me and a buddy of mine, Anthony Barfield out of Georgia, were just getting out of the Marine Corps together. We had connected in the Marine Corps. He had wanted to be a wrestler, found out I was a wrestler, started traveling with me. So the Lord connected us in that way. So we said, all right, sweet, dude. So we, you know, get on our nice little suit, presentable, take our VHS tape and our little resume and give it to Bill. And it was one of those conversations where Bill's like, yeah, nice to meet you. I'll take a look at it. And you're like, oh, man. But dude, I remember being there and I was like, Dude, this is where I got to be. The show was, it was in Helen, Georgia, at this big convention center um, that, I mean, the crowd was packed and I was like, this is amazing. So lo and behold, it was, that was, um, I want to say maybe June or so, 
of 2006 and then in August of 2006, somewhere around there. I may be getting dates wrong. But anyway, it was a couple months. He, he called us in and said, hey, come on in. We got you know TV tapings tonight. And we'd like to give you guys a trial match. We come in and we end up wrestling um, <laughs> Xavier Woods, who is on WWE now, you know, yep. New Day. At the time, he was Apollo Creed, uh, him and his tag team partner. So we always laugh about that. It was our tryout match, me and my buddy Anthony, who was Truett Fields. We were this amazing tag team called Muscle Madness, uh, which, <laughs> which was great. So we had this tryout match and one thing led to another. And that just uh, projected me kind of so NWA Anarchy was part of the NWA affiliate, which, you know, if anybody's wrestling fans in the 80s and 90s, it was this huge territory. Basically, we're still territories throughout the United States. So it just started opening up doors for me, man. Bill was like, hey, we'd like to have you guys full time and start coming down here. It was every week. So I'm driving from North Carolina, gosh, to, um, you know, Georgia there. And it was probably four hours one way for me not making any money hardly, you know, but paying dues. And I knew, okay, Bill had connections with at that time, WWE or WWF at that time, you know, impact wrestling. And I was like, well, you know what, if you got to do it, you know, you got to pay the dues to get there. So for me, that just opened up so many doors and so many opportunities, man. It really helped me, you know, kind of craft my skills in the ring, just the guys I got to be in the ring with, uh, be part of a TV product, learning how to be near a camera and around a camera. Um, the crowds were insane. Uh, the building was this old, like Southern Baptist church that, you know, they call it the Southern Church of Professional Wrestling. That's what we called it. And it was just hot in the summer, cold in the winter, but the crowds were always nuts. I mean, it's, it sat probably three or 400 people and they were just insane, dude. But it really, that's really what changed my wrestling career, getting a chance to go there and, and just, um, you know, man, God used it to just open up so many doors for me. Yeah. Is that when you feel like you, you like made it in the business or when did you feel like you really arrived in the pro wrestling industry? I think that was the start of it. So during the Marine Corps, obviously I was deployed some, you know, I could basically every weekend I was going to do these small shows when I could, I mean, all over the place, dude, there was times where we would drive 20 hour round trip, uh, have to be back at base on Monday morning at 5 a.m. for you know, physical training with our platoon. And I would get to my barracks room at like four in the morning because I'm driving no sleep. But when that happened to go into NWA anarchy, it opened up doors. And like I said, it helped me kind of craft my skill. And that's really where I started to feel like, okay, I have an opportunity here because I'm getting seen by all these NWA promotions in California, um, you know, Michigan, it's like all kinds of areas. So it really was one of those things where Bill, I think saw the drive in me, my buddy Anthony kind of, um, you know, went a different way. Um, we're still really good friends and stuff, but you know, I had this drive where this is all I wanted. I was going to give up everything. I mean, everything I would literally at the time sold my soul probably, you know, to be a pro wrestler. It consumed me. Um, and I think Bill saw that drive and just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to help this kid out. So it definitely, man, it definitely was where I started to go. Okay. I have a big opportunity here to make it and make, you know, make money and, and be what I wanted to be as a kid. Yeah. And then from there, is that where you went on to TNA wrestling, impact wrestling? Yep. So the Bill, Bill Barons I mentioned opened up a uh, door. Terry Taylor really well, which you know, Terry Taylor comes from NWA. He used to be like, <laughs> we always picked on the red rooster from WWF in the day. Yep. Um, he would come down every once in a while. Cause he was uh, one of the office agents for TNA and he would see the shows and 
Bill would uh, always, you know, keep an eye on, uh, at the time, Phil Shatter is what I wrestled as. And Terry would always introduce himself and was just always a really cool man. Ended up being uh, a good mentor for me throughout my life and a, a spiritual brother as well, well, as well that helped me a lot. So anyway, that opened up doors to where Terry was like, all right, I'm, you know, if I can do anything for you, I'm going to try and get your foot in the door at Impact or TNA. And he did. He called me one day and said, listen, I got this opportunity. It's not wrestling right off the bat, but here's what I can offer. Every week we do two or three days in a row, impact tapings at Universal Studios. Drive down on your own. We'll pay for your hotel. We'll pay you $200 a day. Um, but you're just going to kind of be an on-air security guy for Dixie Carter. And I was just thinking, dude, whatever. Like, here's my opportunity. Like, here's, you know, some guys like, oh, no, I'm too good for that. But me, I'm like, I'll do whatever I have to do. Mm-hmm. And he saw that, man. You know, he saw that. And it was and it did. Obviously, it paid off because I was with the company for five years. Um, but he just saw that drive, I think, in me once again. And I would what, we would wrestle Anarchy on Saturday night, get in a car at 11 p.m., drive to Orlando, which was nine hours, you know, get to a hotel at seven or eight in the morning. Uh, me and the guys traveling it would sleep for two hours and then be at the arena for three days. And it's just like, dude, I was killing myself, you know, <laughs> but I mean, you know, Terry just continued to see that drive in me and it just opened up doors for me. And then, you know, uh, one thing led to another, I signed with those guys in 2010, I signed my first contract and stayed with them until 2015. Yeah. And, and you had a, a great run in impact wrestling, you know, from, from a professional standpoint here, Chad, what was, you know, your personal life like during that time you mentioned, you know, starting in the Marines kind of dabbling into, you know, mm-hmm. drugs, pills, things like that. Did your relationship with Christ, you know, strengthen at all during that time through your run with impact? So I can say that it did. I, and, and I mentioned Terry was like a spiritual brother to me. I ended up him being one of my coaches at WWE when I signed there. And we always talk about it. There was a time right when I signed with Impact where I was just going through so much, so much like inner anger, you know, uh, never suicidal, but to the point of God, just like, I don't want to wake up anymore. I don't even like getting a chance to live my dream. There was this empty void in me and waking up, you know, from a drunken night or a a pill induced night where, I don't realize how I got where I was, you know, safely in a bed somewhere, but the Lord always like just kind of knocking on my heart. And I just had that, that, I guess that feeling of the Holy spirit saying, I got more for you. You know what I mean? So anyway, there was a moment there where I called Terry one day and I said, listen, I I don't, uh, I think I'm going to quit. I don't really want to be there anymore. And he said, he's all right. Let me call you back in an hour. Think about it. I'll call you back in an hour. He called me and and lo and behold, I didn't know that he was a Christian man. He had been through, you know, the death of his wife, raised two autistic kids um, and just this man had been through the trenches as well. You know, and uh, he said, you know, I just want to talk to you and kind of started speaking to me. And and I remember him quoting Romans 828 because he knew the things I was going through in life, whether it was drugs or bad relationships, situations I put myself in. And it said, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who trust God. And it just something hit me. I was like, wow, man, like this guy just spoken to me. Like, it's like the Lord used him to remind me that if I could just change this stupid ways in my life, God was going to use these things. You know what I mean? And long story short, I didn't quit. Um, you know, I, could, I tried to clean my life up a little bit. I was still 
not where I wanted to be. I was still very convicted of how I was living my life, but I did make it a habit more, you know, stage 17 into my twenties, you know, going to God, like, or going to church was like, you know, every once in a while thing, you know, my Bible would sit on my nightstand and just collect dust. Um, I would pull God out of my pocket per se, like a little lucky charm and say, Lord, I need you today. Can you help me? And then I'd shove him back in my pocket and forget about it for two or three months. But I did start to make it more of a habit. And it doesn't mean that all this sin just disappeared out of my life. I still was battling these addictions, but I made it more of a habit to go, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. And I think that conversation with Terry opened that door up to me. Uh, the Lord used it to, to make me realize, okay, no, you can't do this on my own. Me convicting you all these years and knocking on your hearts, me saying, if you just listen to me, then I can help you out here. Um, so it definitely caused me to get into the Bible a little more. This wasn't like I am now where it's every single day, but it wasn't sitting on my nightstand just collecting dust. I was actually going to the Lord in prayer, and it wasn't these little measly prayers that I prayed when I was a kid, like, now I lay me down to sleep. It was like, God, like, I need you. Please, 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 I need you. Like weeping and these things I'd never experienced before, really, like on my face, just crying out to the Lord. So that, you know, a spiritual aspect, it definitely started to kind of birth something in me. I started to kind of go back to the cross. Yeah, yeah, awesome. When did you feel like you did get set free from those addictions, you know, from from the alcohol, from the pills? When did you really experience that freedom? So really for me, it wasn't, super long ago I, you know some guys are talking to you and they're like oh you know 20 years ago i gave up this and that um i started to clean things up around 2014 like you know that 10 to 2014 area it wasn't consuming me as much as it had been there was still like i was the the social drinker i'd go out with my friends and um i would have one but it would lead to six you know what i mean um but still that whole time i was like no nah, this man I, I shouldn't be doing this so i guess it was um probably four years ago, really, where me and my wife, um, this is in WWE, so we're skipping a little bit, but me and my wife would, uh, we started a church down in Florida that we went to, and it just completely changed my life. You know, I realized I had to lay this alcohol down, the pills I had put down in 2011. So that was a pretty easy one for me to get rid of, which was good because, dude, there's, you know, part of my testimony I share where I was so peeled up one time, I passed out in a jacuzzi by myself. Oh, man. Uh, nobody around. And I woke up and I'm dry clothes and in a bed. I'm like, and I at literally, no lie, I asked everybody in that house and I like, hey, who, who, who helped me out? Nobody knew. Nobody could tell me. And I was like, wow. So the pill problem ended. Drinking was more of a social thing for me. But uh, really that church, you know, down down in Florida, just kind of realized we had this little girl, my daughter, who's five now. It's like, I have to be a role model. And if if I'm seeking after the Lord and I'm wanting to, you know, I'm praying to God, Lord, use me in a mighty ways to speak to kids. I can't be speaking to kids. And then two days later, going to party and do stuff. Yeah. So the Lord said, you need to lay that down. You need to take that to the altar. Like you did at 17 years old and give that away. Like you need to lay that down. Don't touch it again. And I'll start to do things in your life. And just having, I mentioned earlier, these men pouring into my life. That's what happened to me in Florida was, these disciples, the youth pastor came up to me, the preacher showed interest in me, not because of who I was in WWE. Uh, they didn't know any of that until we really met. Um, but it's like the Lord placed all these men in my life and just kind of started to hug me. You know what I mean? It showed me this love and this discipleship of 
you don't have to do this alone. So, you know, real quick story. What really started helping me out too was I joined a small group and it was, <laughs> it was me in my thirties. And then all these old men, dude, I'm talking about like sixties and seventies. And I'm just thinking, God, what are you doing? Like I, I'm surrounded by a bunch of old farts here. Like what are they, what are they going to teach me? What that caused me to do, Jerry, was drop my guard because all this, all my life, I, I thought that I was this tough man. I couldn't cry. I couldn't do this. Um, you know, I could do this all by myself. But that caused me to drop my guard because I started talking to these 60 and 70 year old men who were um, warriors for Christ for 50 years, you know, who had been through death and, and all this other stuff, who had battled addiction, whether it was porn addiction that I battled or alcohol or divorce or whatever. Dude, they started to show me, man, like we're more than conquerors, but we have to do it together. You know, the 12 disciples didn't do it in a single manner. They, they came together. They worked together. You know, Christ showed that this unity is what builds us as, you know, followers of Jesus. And so that's really what, what transformed me in Florida and started to just rebirth, you know, uh, make me a new creation, basically. Like I had to go back, you know, and basically say, Jesus, you're my savior. So I went back to that altar again, gave it all to Christ again and started fresh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I I can't help but think, Chad, you mentioned that, you know, in impact wrestling, you know, you had a good run there, but you felt this emptiness. You felt like, man, something's missing. You get to WWE, which I imagine was probably, you know, your dream job. And then you also really dig into your relationship with Christ again. And so, you know, compared to impact to WWE from a spiritual level, did you feel just kind of that sense of, you know, fulfillment that, Hey, like, regardless of what happens here, you know, in WWE, I got my faith with, with Christ. I got my relationship with Jesus back on the right track here. Like I feel more complete. Absolutely, man. Like I knew that, Hey, as a kid, five years old, WWE was my main goal. Uh, being at WrestleMania was my main goal. Um, but I also knew that, man, if I get signed by WWE in 2017, which I did in May of 2017, if next year they get rid of me, like, dude, I got to live at least a year's life of something that nobody would ever, first of all, maybe even try and do or get the opportunity to do. But I got a chance to spend almost five years with the company. And I look at it now and it's like, it definitely, um, I was fulfilled, like personal level, but I also knew that my heart was more fulfilled because I had my, my trust in the Lord, knowing that he, I, you know, and I talk about this often, I look back in those times in my 20s when you know, main thing for me is, you know, we all face situations every single day. Like, man, why is that happening? Or why is this happening? But I always go, dude, the Lord never left me when I was peeled out of my mind and drinking and at times not proud of this, but cursing God. And there was many moments where I was like, are you even real? But I was putting myself in these situations. So I look at those times now and I go, dude, if God was with me then, like, he's not going to leave me now. You know what I mean? So it's helped build my strength. It helps me lead my family, my wife and my daughter. And uh, dude, it's just been an incredible, incredible journey for me spiritually. So here we are, um, you know, January, 2022 in November of 2021, you know, I got released from WWE Uh, for six months before that. I just wasn't happy, you know, spiritually wasn't happy. There was things going on that I wasn't happy with. And I started praying, man. I started praying hard. Lord, if it's time for this door to close, let it shut. And, you know, I'm going to read a scripture verse in a minute out of Philippians. But I remember coming up in my office, November 19th, 
9.30 at night, get ready to send an email to WWE about some character stuff. And I get a call and I see the number and I was like, I think we're about to experience this. <laughs> so um, I, I was released from my contract. And I, dude, I remember thinking as I'm sitting in my office and I hung up that phone in my 20s, I would have been devastated. I would have been like, how am I going to provide for my family? I'd have been in the bottle, Terry. I'd have been in the pill bottle, whatever it was. I'd have found an escape. But instantly as I'm sitting there, the Lord says, you asked for this. You know, this is what you've been praying. Trust me. And I'm going to read Philippians 4, 7. And it just says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's like instantly this, yeah, dude, instantly this, whoo, come on. Instantly, this this spirit just fell upon me and said, I got you. Like, I got you. You had this platform. You you was at WrestleMania in Tampa, Florida. You did that. You achieved your dream. But I got something better for you. And it's just been a peaceful journey for me over the past, you know, three or four months, man, just of God, just awakening something in me and going, hey, man, you're the oak of the family. You know, you're the head of the house. You got to lead your wife. You got to lead your daughter and just let the peace of Christ fall on you. And it's been so peaceful, brother. So peaceful. Awesome. Awesome. I, I just think of your obedience, Chad. You know, like you said, WWE was your dream job, but you weren't happy. And, um, you know, just kind of praying, you know, and, and being willing to surrender that over if if that's was God's will for you, right? Like, hey, I will hand over this dream job, my dream career in order to follow you, in order to feel your peace in order to feel more fulfilled for you. And and I just think of your obedience with that, Chad. I think that's super admirable and a good lesson to to anyone who's, you know, maybe working at their dream job and it's just not as fulfilling as they thought it was. And being willing to just trust God with letting that go because yeah, like you said, God's got something bigger. He'll never cause us to surrender uh something over for his sake you know, to give us like a demotion, right? It's always like a promotion, maybe not, you know, always financially or status wise, but definitely spiritually. And so I'm so happy, Chad, that you in the midst of the season, and I know your, your 90 days is probably up pretty soon here that your, that, that your peace is there and you seem just super excited for what God has in store for you. I do. Yeah. February 12th, my 90 days is up and I'm ready because I'm going to you know, I always said when I left WWE, I'd never do any more wrestling. I was like, I think I'll be done. But I told my wife, I was like, you know what, man, I, I want to go have a little fun. And I, I've got some independent shows coming up in March and April. You know, June, I'll be 40. August will be 22 years. It's like, all right, just kind of fill it out. But this has been an amazing platform that God has, has given me. I mean, every morning on TikTok and, and stuff, I'm doing a, you know, a, a devotional video most every morning. And it's just amazing some of the people who's poured out their hearts to me just telling me like, Hey, I, don't, I haven't been to church in years, but uh, just getting a chance to hear you um, share Christ with the platform you have and not be ashamed. That's really what it's about. It's not about getting a tick mark or somebody praising me. It's about me being able to share the gospel, what God's done in my life, dude, and just getting a chance to use this pro wrestling platform that the Lord has given me to, to continue. You know, listen, we. I go to the altar school of ministry, which is a, a, a two nights a week. I'm in class getting a chance to just kind of learn what it means to be a messenger in the world. Uh, not all of us are called to be a pastor in a pulpit, but we are all called, as Matthew 28 says, 18 to 20, called to go make disciples. Now, this means, dude, with your job as a therapist, this means with my job as a pro wrestler or now a strength and conditioning coach, 
we're all we all got to share Christ. And I'm just mm-hmm. taking this opportunity. Go have a little fun at some wrestling shows and come June. If it's like, all right, I'm done, I'm done. Um, but just taking this opportunity just to share Jesus, dude, and what he's done in my life. And there's this new feeling in my in my heart where I've been asking the question lately, like I'm a big revival reader. So like A.W. Tozer and uh, Leonard Ravenhill, dudes, these powerful men of God. And I, and I asked my, I'm mentored by Dr. Michael Brown, if anyone knows of who he is out there. Yeah, I love, um, I said, I love Dr. Michael Brown. Dude, he's the real deal, real deal. Anyway, we can talk about that sometime. Maybe. I said, <laughs> what made men like that different? And here's Dr. Brown, who was mentored by Leonard Ravenhill, prayed with this man for the last five years of Ravenhill's life. I said, what made those men different? Dr. Brown said, simple. He said, they were fully consecrated to the Lord. They were in their study every day. They were reading the word. They were filling their hearts. And I just, I was like, dude, that's what it's about, man. That's what it's about. Because in the end, my walk with Christ, when I closed my eyes for the last time, and I used this picture the other day of, of Paul fighting that good fight that he talked about in 2 Timothy, closing his eyes because his head's on the chopping block. Nero's about to behead him. Closes his eyes. He knew he had fought the good fight. And when he opened his eyes, he was right there with Christ. I'm like, man, that's what it's about. You read yeah. the book of Revelation. Some people are scares, dude. But Terry, me, I read Revelation. It's like poetry to me. I'm like, this is going to be crazy. Right. Just to set our eyes on Jesus. You know what I mean? And, um, dude, that's really what it's about now. It's instilling in my daughter and instilling in my wife that if daddy loses his dream job, he's still strong. There shows no sign of, of anxiety or worry. It's like Amen. waking up every morning and saying, Jesus, you're my source. And I don't have to worry about anything because God, you are still good. You know, Amen. So that's man. What it's about, man. <laughs> I'm getting just pumped up listening to you here, Chad. This is awesome. Uh, um, I, I want to be respectful of your time here, man. I know you got to get going soon. Why don't we uh, end with plugging your podcast? You talked about wanting to be fully uh, consecrated. And in one of your most recent episodes of the podcast, you, you and uh, Casey Cage, your co-host talked about mm-hmm. that. So tell us about your podcast. Yeah, dude. So that's something just kind of fell in my lap. And if we, we run over, I'm, I'm completely okay. I love a good Holy Spirit filled conversation. Okay. So we, we, uh, yeah, all good. We, but so Casey asked me, it was back in last year, July, maybe I, I want to say, Hey man, I, you know, him and I crossed paths years ago. He had, we'd crossed paths when our lives were in the same situation, a bunch of drunks and a bunch of idiots. You know, <laughs> we were, we were living life, what we call it in, in hell, basically. He, he come up to or he emailed me out of nowhere. And I was like, I ain't heard from this guy forever. But he's like, hey, dude, I do a podcast. And at the time, being with WWE, you had to be careful. I can't just go do a podcast on your own. But it's like something told me, like, I mean, just go do the podcast. Like, whatever happens, happens. So, you know, he interviewed me. I shared my testimony for like 30 minutes, basically what we're doing now. Um, we kept in touch here and there. And he just approached me one day. Um, I'd always kind of wanted to do a podcast. He approached me about two months later. And he goes, I know this is a little out there, but just feeling led to ask you, um, would you like to be my co-host on this podcast? I was like, dude, you know, let me pray about it. I'm, man, I'm busy with work and family. And he goes, all right, yeah, that's fine. But man, it was like a couple of days in, I'm just thinking like, like the Lord's leading me, like, do this, do this, do this. Anyway, long story short, we start, you know, uh, plugging wrestling for the faith podcast together. It's something he had started just to kind of interview people and talk about the Lord, talk about wrestling. But it's really progressed into more talking about the Lord. Like we'll dabble in wrestling a little bit. And we've had Nikita on and Lodi. A couple more guests we're trying to do. And but it's just been 
sometimes we'll go on and we don't even know what we're going to talk about. It's just like the Lord puts this on on our heart. But dude, it's been such a blessing, you know, such a blessing. We've had so many people reach out to us to just tell us that um, just our hearts, you know, things that we talk about is what they're going through that day or that week. And just to to use that platform, because we, you know, we all have this opportunity, so many avenues now, whether it's Twitter, uh, you know, Instagram, any of this stuff that can be a cesspool, but can also be an avenue to share the Lord. You know what I mean? So the podcast Wrestling for the Faith has been amazing. And our hearts now, I think, truly lie. We're starting to uh, get some hats made. We're going to do some T-shirts. Um, and then we've really been praying into like, man, we just feel led to do a little bit more with this. So we're we're going to kind of uh, start a 501c, I believe, to start kind of give money to the to the, the missions or whatnot. But we also talked about just kind of praying into it, uh, of doing some kind of men's event, like a Wrestling for the Faith men's event where we have a few speakers come in. Casey and I speak a little bit. Um, so we're, we don't want to act on our own will. We want to approach God and, and say, okay, what are you going to have us do? But we're believing in mighty things because both of us lately have just had this stirring inside of us. And one of my, uh, my teachers at my ministry school talked about how we're these fragile paper cups filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Just, and it's just wanting to bust out, but the Lord uses us as the temple, you know, and here we are two guys that just, man, we're just wanting to overflow and, and pour into people because Dude, you know as well as I do, we're in a world that needs it. You know, we're lost. So that's really where Wrestling for the Faith is with us now. It's just been a blessing. So anybody who wants to check it out, you can check it on iTunes, Spotify, and um, just you know, it's 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 just been really fun to do. Yeah, and I it's probably my new favorite podcast to be honest with you, Chad. I just love, <laughs> I just love how just real you guys are right you know when people think about pro wrestlers you know i'm sure they think of the you know stereotypical like macho guy and everything and i think it's just so cool and such a neat concept to have here's two pro wrestlers that it's not about that it's about dropping our garden and let's talk about Mm -hmm. jesus and you know you and casey both you know on the podcast you'll talk about hey like i've kind of been struggling with this or i'm not where i want to be you know with jesus right now and i i'm trying to get back on the right track and I just, I just love how real and raw it is and how like spirit led it is too. Like you said, yes. you know, I think, you know, you've been trying to go through like the book of John or the book of Acts <laughs> and kind of get, keep getting rerouted, but like, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm along for the ride. Cause man, the, the content is, is great. The discussion is great. And it really, uh, for me, it, it just increases my hunger to get into the word and, and to just live a more godly lifestyle. Hey, man, dude, that's a blessing to hear. And that's really what it's about. The thing I've learned, Terry, if I could speak to anybody out there listening, going, how can I deepen my relationship with the Lord? Uh, I liken it to this. And I preached last July at a church in Florida. And my sermon was basically called Place at the Table. So what keeps me going in the morning? Obviously, when I wake up, I try to put my feet on the floor and I just go, Jesus, you're my source. Well, I go to my office, even if you know I'm up at 4 a.m. now because I go train clients at 530 a.m. So my days are like crunched. But I try and just, even if I'm downstairs having coffee, sit at my little bar or sit at my coffee table or my office and picture Christ sitting at that table as I'm walking down my steps with, with just waiting, waiting to have a conversation with me. And that's kept me going so much more because I think as if I leave the house without at least going to the word, reading a psalm, praying something, it's like I just left Jesus sitting there, bro. He's like, he's wanting to talk to me. He's wanting to love me. He's wanting to teach me. So that's really where it's been for me is to build my relationship with Jesus. Just like, you know, your wife, my wife, we can't just one day a week conversate with our wife and expect to have a good loving marriage. It takes everyday work. 
And with the Lord, it's the same thing. It's like, come to me daily. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. And that, that just, that doesn't mean, Lord, let me have a sandwich today. That means go to the word. You know what I mean? That, that manna that he provided for the Israelites in, in the wilderness. Like go to the word daily and just build your life on that cornerstone that the Bible talks about. Yeah, man, that's, that's a, that's a good word. I think about, uh, you know, in the marriage and family therapy field, statistically husbands and wives spend 35 minutes a week, like actually talking, you know, the average couple, which is crazy. And I think about, man, how, how much time do, does the average person spend with Jesus per week? I would imagine probably a lot less than that. And like you said, like he's our bread, he's our life source. We, we need that time with him. And, and I love that analogy that you used of, Hey, I'm walking down the stairs and Jesus is waiting for me at the table, you know, and just kind of waiting to be like, all right, you know, what are we going to do today? Yes. Amen, dude. It's so true. That's, that's a crazy statistic to think about too. I mean, me and my wife find there's times where we get super busy and she'll have to slow me down or I'll have to slow her down and go, Hey, let's just like, I don't watch a lot of TV, probably two hours a week. I, I just don't do it. It's just garbage to me. But my <laughs> wife, you know, she's like, just watch a movie with me. And I go, all right, you know what? I got to spend time with my wife to build that relationship, make sure our love is strengthened. And it's the same with Jesus, dude. And, you know, like, don't get so legalistic about it. Years ago, I was legalistic about my Bible app. And, oh, man, I have to have a checklist today. I have to finish Genesis and this one, this, this one. And then just like the Lord spoke to me and said, that's being legalistic. I'm not asking for a checklist. I'm asking for your heart. So if you get through two verses today, but you ponder on those verses and pray and just seek my face, dude, that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's not about reading a whole book in, in you know, 20 minutes. It's about letting it soak into our hearts and, and just build us up. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Well, Chad, uh, as we wrap things up here, I'm wondering what would you say to someone who maybe at one point in their life, you know, they gave their life to to God, they were on fire for God, but you know, the temptations of the world, uh, just life situations, whatever it may be, kind of caused them to stray away from that. And they're really struggling with like coming back to the Lord. Uh, you've been able to do that with the grace of God. And, and, and it's yes. awesome to hear that. What advice would you give for someone who, you know, is where you used to be? I think big, big piece of advice. I always tell people, you're not meant to do this alone. We talked about that earlier. I finally dropped that guard, surrounded myself with men who loved me, who poured into me, uh, who instilled things into me. Um, it, it's, you know, it's being consistent. You know, I spoke to a discipleship program yesterday to these kids who are like in their second year. And I say, like, to fight that good fight, we have to be consistent. You know, we all have things that we're consistent about. For me, it's an athlete. For me, it's waking up and my diet's right, my workout's right. Or, you know, for you, it was going to school for so many years to do what you love to do. There's somebody out there, whoever you are, you have something that you're consistent about. Um, but we have to be consistent about chasing after the Lord. Remember also that I think about the 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 mentors in the Bible that we see. And I spoke about this yesterday as well. Moses, David, Paul, Peter, all these disciples and all these prophets from the old, they, you know, God said, I found a man that seeks my heart, basically talking about David. Right. And what it was, it doesn't mean David was perfect. Moses wasn't perfect. They murdered, they did all these other things. They questioned God, but it, it said and I started thinking about this, no matter how many times they got knocked down, they always got back up. And I think of the story in Acts when Paul was stoned and drug out of the, the city. 
Now, do you not think he's laying there probably thinking, God, I'm just in this now. But he didn't. He knew he had a greater purpose and he got back up. And for me, speaking into someone's life who is dealing with issues or thinking that God has forgotten them or God's mad at them or God can't use you because of past mistakes, that's all a lie from the enemy. Casey says Amen. best. There's a, di- there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is the devil saying you are a failure. Don't even try anymore. Conviction is the Lord saying you have failed, but I want you to get back up and I'm going to walk with you and help you and do this again. Look at Peter denied Christ three times. But in the second book of Acts, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, he was the first one out in the streets proclaiming the good news. Right. You know, Paul murdered Christians, ended up writing two thirds of the New Testament, sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. You know, the apostle, the Gentiles do just blows my mind to think about the men and women that God used then and can still use now. So don't get so discouraged about your past. Talk about this all the time to kids and, and adults alike. And we just have to remember how much God loves us. You know, it says in Galatians 2.20, he loved me. He gave himself for me. He didn't give himself for me because I'm perfect. Lord knows that. But he gave himself for me because he chose me and he has a purpose in my life. So really, it's just about, we talked about it, building that relationship, being in the daily word. Don't be legalistic about it. Just, just pour your heart out to Christ. You know, go to God. Don't be afraid to be silent and be still. It's very uncomfortable for us just to have a quiet moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just studying the word, man. It's feeling for me, like, dude, it's we have so many avenues now of how we can fill our mind. We got the Bible, obviously, which is to me number one. But as you're driving to work, or you're a busy man or woman, as a businessman or woman, or whatever, a mother, worship song, YouTube preaching. There's so many good podcasts out there. I'd love to tweet some of them I listen to, you know, yep. <laughs> you know, sharing yours, the testimonies and stuff, just hearing people's heart for God and realizing that the way that the Lord uses people. Uh, that that we're not, you know, we're, we can't label ourselves because God has a purpose for us. So just seeking after the Lord, man, and then and having somebody to strengthen you and be there with you. And that's a good word, Chad. Good word, Chad. Yes. Thanks so much for again for taking the time to come on. How can people follow you? So I got um, what am I? Twitter now. Instagram is at cw lail. So l a i l underscore gunner. Um, so you'll know it's got the blue check mark and all that stuff. I'm on TikTok as well under the same name. And basically my TikTok page is just me putting out daily devotionals when I can. Uh, that's all I use it for. Um, can't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm on Facebook, just Chad Lowe, And I have a YouTube channel, Chad Lowe, as well, where I'll put devotionals or some old sermons and stuff I've preached on there. Uh, I try my best to reply to everybody. If you want to email me or anything, it's, it's shatter, like shatter glass. 6682 at gmail.com and uh, check out the wrestling for the faith podcast and just uh, be blessed by that as well. And, and yeah, I try my best to reply to all emails. So um, anybody's got questions, hit me up. Well, Chad, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for uh, what the future has in store for you here with, um, you know, just Kevin ha- having the freedom and the opportunities, uh, you know, at your disposal now, and uh, I'll be following you along for the ride. That's for sure. Man, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on today. And, and uh, dude, I just look forward to the future. It's such a such a blessing to be able to share God. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Chad. Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, guys, Chad's the man. He is the real deal, a solid brother in Christ, 
And I'm super pumped to see how the Lord is going to use him and his platform to make Jesus known. Because that's what it's all about at the end of the day. If you have any questions for Chad, use the hashtag AskTWT across the Testimonies with Terry social media pages, and we'll have Chad answer some. Also, make sure to follow Chad on social media and check out the Wrestling for the Faith podcast. I promise you guys will love it. I was not saying it's my new favorite podcast just because I was talking to Chad. It truly is. It always leaves me wanting to press into God more, to dig into the word deeper. Him and Casey Cage do such a great job on it. And so check it out. I'll link it in the show notes as well as both Chad and Casey's social media handles as well. One other thing you guys need to check out is Chad's collaboration with Death and Defiance. They're a Christian clothing company that makes some killer merchandise. And Chad has a couple shirts up there that look just phenomenal. I need every one of them. They turned out so good. And I'll link it in the show notes as well. Thanks everyone for tuning in to the start of season two. I'm excited for you guys to hear the rest of the testimonies I have coming at you. So make sure you're subscribed and following this podcast, however you're listening to them. And make sure to follow the Testimonies with Terry Facebook page, as well as my Instagram and Twitter pages at TWTerryPod. Until next time, make sure you're living life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt. Peace.